0: We'll <laughs> be
1: This is possible. Howdy, folks. We're the Bitter Weed drawn. This is Zach from Black Bread. Hi, this is Audie from Broken Bones. Hello, Vancouver. This is Carolyn Mark. I'm water crime guide. This is Dan Mangan. Hey, this is David Pepke from Denmark. This is Dylan Oslick from Slingshot. Hi, this is Dick Valentine from Electric City. Hi, everybody. This is Fred Penner on the Radio Waves. This is Fred Schneider. This is calling from JBH.
2: Hi, this is the Green Up Inventors. Hi, this is Ben from The Gossip. Hi, this is Brian from Hellshock. This is Scruff Mouth the Scribe. I'm Shanie from an This is Sab Gray from Iron Cross.
3: Hey, we're J plus J plus J.
2: This is Jack Mercer from Jack Mercer and the Whiskey Bandits.
0: It's James Wood, half of Mega Bear.
1: This is Jaron Paxton, American musician. This is Swami Bill and the Shameless Weed Hounds from New Orleans, Louisiana,
4: east of the Mississippi.
2: Hi, this is John Boutte from New Orleans, Louisiana. This is Jesse Laborde.
4: I'm Peter Mansbridge. Hi, this is Ron McLean of Hockey Slash Movie Night in Canada.
3: You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. Also on the web, citr.ca. In UBC, University of British Columbia, in Vancouver, Canada. Have our people contact your people, won't you?
0: about food and music, eating and grooving, munching and moving, forking and spooning, listening to tunes, yeah, dinner's on soon, and to get ready for, ready for, peanut butter and jams!
2: You're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams with host Brenda and Jordy on CITR 101.9, exploring local music and local food. Tune in to learn about the best
3: eats and tunes from your neighborhood and a weekly pairing for your date calendar.
2: Warning, the endorsements and criticism expressed during the show are the opinions of the hosts, unless clearly identified as advertising. Put in your earbuds and fire up your taste buds.
0: It's peanut butter and jams.
3: Hello. This is Brenda and Jordy with Peanut Butter and Jams.
4: Hello, can you hear me now?
3: I can hear you really clearly. Okay, good. And we've got a good show for you today.
4: Yes, um, we have Jane Mundy from, uh, who wrote the new Oceanwise Wise cookbook um, with the help of many chefs across the country, um, who's going to be talking to us today. Um I worked on that book with her at Cup. At Full Wiccap. disclosure. Full disclosure. Um, it was fun.
3: And then we're going to play some local bands.
4: Yeah, we're going to play lots of local bands. Anything else you wanted to talk about?
3: Um. Well, we could talk about late night patio hours.
4: Patio day. We can talk about patio day. Patios. So, and uh, late night patio hours. Uh, let's talk about both of those things. You can call we'll in a
3: little later and tell us about your favorite patio. So, we're gonna play some music. The first one is Yukon Blonde, and the track is called Como.
4: And hello, we are back um, with uh, with Jane Mundy. Hello, Jane. Hi. Uh, hi,
3: Brenda. Hi, Jordy.
4: And uh, we... Uh, Brenda, what music did we just hear?
3: That was a song by Late Spring. And the track was called... Oh, boy, I'm going to have to look it up again.
4: That's okay. We can... <laughs> we'll tell you. <laughs> we'll tell you in a second. Um, but uh, we're here with Jane, um, who uh, was... Do you like to be described as the author or the editor?
5: Well, it's a bit of both, I guess. Uh, most of my job was editing um, recipes, especially, but I did a lot of. There's, there's <clears throat> the whole book is interspersed with interviews and articles which I wrote, so it's a bit of both.
4: Of the Oceanwise Cookbook, two.
5: Yeah.
3: Great. And your background is in food journalism. Well, I have not
5: quite. It's, uh, I started out in the food industry as a professional cook. I won't go as far as to sources, call myself a chef, and I worked in restaurants to put myself to university when I started in marine biology. And then I just got stuck in the food industry for 20 years. I was um, catering for the film industry mainly.
2: And then I
5: decided to be a writer, and I started writing about food. It was a a natural progression.
3: So can you tell us a bit about this cookbook and how you got started?
5: Sure. I got started on the first one, actually, about... um, I guess uh, about six or seven, maybe eight years ago now, yeah, eight years ago, mm-hmm. I went to um, a, a restaurant that was showcasing Ocean Wise, which had just been designated Ocean Wise, and I sat next to Mike McDermott, who was then the manager of the Ocean Wise program,
2: and I asked
5: him if he wanted to put together a cookbook, and he said, sure, and that was it. So Ocean, the Ocean Wise people supplied me with Names of chefs across Canada who had partnered with the program, and uh, I got hold of them and tried as much as I could to ask them not to send me recipes that were all salmon and albacore tuna.
4: <laughs> um, just for uh, just for our listeners' benefit, could you explain briefly, like in to a to a layman, what is the Ocean Wise program?
5: Oh, of course, the Ocean Wise program <clears throat> makes it easy for you to figure out what fish is sustainable and what isn't, because it's pretty murky waters out there. Sometimes uh, a fish can be sustainable one month and not the other. It all depends on the fishing techniques and if it's endangered. So if you go to the Ocean Wise site, it has a list of species that are sustainable and species to avoid.
3: And this was started by the Vancouver Aquarium.
5: It was started, actually, by Rob Clark, his chef... A former chef of the Sea Restaurant, and now he's the chef owner of the uh, the fish counter, or Fishmongers and uh, the best fish and chips in town over on Main Street. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he started off with Mike and uh, went from there.
3: Okay, so uh, have you tried every single recipe? Did you spend a lot of your time eating? Yeah. <laughs>
5: I have to tell the truth. I didn't try every single one. There's 170 recipes in this book. The first book was 120. And I, of course, I tried the ones I, I wrote. And some of them were so straightforward that I didn't need to. But anything that was a little bit complicated or seemed a little bit strange, of course, I, I tried. Tested them, especially all the smoked recipes and the sous vide.
4: Are mm. there um, any type, any recipes in particular that you that you really enjoyed?
5: Actually, I really loved the smoking process. It's the first time I've done it. I went out and bought myself a Bradley smoker from Canadian Tire and smoked oysters and salmon and uh, sturgeon. That was really amazing. So that was quite a learning curve for me to do that. After all these years, I hadn't done something like that. It's fun.
3: And Do you smoke it with specific flavors? I, the, the
5: flavors of the wood doesn't really seem to matter that much. What does matter is the uh, cure the marinade, um, for example, the surgeon I did was uh, with it sat with in a marinade of fennel and orange for a couple of days. And the whole process took about four or five days because it's dry cured, then wet cured, and then marinated. And uh, of course, maple syrup is a is a real classic one for salmon, and uh, maple or cedar wood.
3: So, with chefs from all across Canada. Um, were there any sort of themes that popped out across the board that were unexpected?
5: This time it was, it was great because the first round, back in 2009, 2008, 2009, most of the chefs were in B.C. So the recipes were pretty much B.C.-centric. This time there are a lot more members, Ocean Wise members, and I was getting a lot of recipes that were locally sourced. For example, um, some chefs on the prairies were sending pickerel recipes. And that was fantastic. So they're using a lot of their own product.
4: Yeah, that's um, that, that's one really neat thing. And there's also some stuff from the East Coast and um, in oh, yeah. Ontario as well.
5: Yeah, and in fact, we have, speaking of the East Coast, we've got on both coasts, we have caviar. There's a Brevero caviar in New Brunswick, and uh, we have uh, Target Marine's Divine Caviar here in Sechelt.
4: And it's all ocean-wise.
5: Yes, yeah, it is. And they're doing a lot of sustainable work because the sturgeon, after the sturgeon is harvested, that meat is, going, is, is able to be used as fillets, so nothing is thrown out.
3: So who's the regulator, the person who decides what's ocean-wise and what's not? Who's doing that work?
5: There are a lot of people working at the aquarium, and okay. there, are, there are marine biologists and experts who study... All kinds of, I don't know how they do
3: it, but they, it's very complicated.
4: People with quite a level of expertise is Absolutely. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah,
3: we're talking PhDs here. <laughs> nice. And when talking to all these chefs from across Canada, well, was there anything that, I don't know, what did you talk about? What's in these interviews?
5: The interviews were not necessarily from chefs. I interviewed a few people about how to do a certain kind of technique. Mm -hmm. such as sous vide and smoking, and um, a fishmonger was interviewed. I interviewed a fellow called Rick Burns, who is a fisherman, salmon fisherman, and he talked about how frozen fish is quite often better than fresh, which was a big learning curve for me, and I'm sure it is for most people. Mm -hmm.
4: I remember that there's also some parts where you talk to people about various aquaculture techniques.
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I went to um, the island a few years back and met a fellow called Rob Saunders. He has island scallops, and he has uh, literally a farm where he harvests Mussels, scallops, oysters, clams, um, and they, they um, I can't remember, they called the brood anyway, and he actually, they actually grow in waters around that area, and then they move out to the sea when they're juveniles.
4: So they're all growing in like little, bo- like barges or like boats that are well, it, it set up?
5: Off, it starts off uh, on, uh, on land, in mm-hmm. closed containment. Right. ponds. And then they go out to raft.
4: Well, that's neat and they're just out in the open ocean using using that space
5: mm-hmm, yeah. yeah and the farming techniques they're using are extremely sustainable
4: it's wonderful i, I um i love shellfish so uh
5: yeah well you know the, the thing with farmed is that every i guess we think that farmed is the f-word because as, soon as we say we think of farms we think of salmon farm salmon
0: mm-hmm. but
5: there are a lot of other farming techniques going on that are really doing they're really doing a great job even uh selva shrimp is, is replacing tiger prawns that is totally unsustainable so <clears> there <throat> are tiger prawns you mean,
4: is, you mean is, tiger prawns are but selva shrimp is not Selva
5: shrimp is, is good yeah because yeah. they're not destroying the mangrove forest and they they've got some new ways of, of harvesting them so they're not pumping them full of hormones and antibiotics
4: yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. I think that a lot of the, the new, newer aquaculture industries must be learning from the mistakes of the previous ones where everyone got up in arms about the salmon industry and they're like, well, let's not repeat that. Yeah, <laughs> I think
5: so. There's, um, there's something new going on the west coast of Vancouver Island, too, around the uh, Banfield Station, and I believe it's with Nanaimo University, that they're looking at multi-species farms. So rather than just grow mussels, say, in an area, they're, they're trying to grow—well, they are doing it, actually—a sea cucumber, so that would be on the bottom of the ocean, and then mussels in different layers in the same area. So it it's more of a, of a kind of an ecosystem.
4: What's your favorite type of seafood, Brenda?
3: Oh, I don't know. But uh, right now I'm on an iron diet, which means I get to buy lots of shellfish without feeling guilty about the money I'm spending, <laughs> which is amazing.
5: Yeah, shellfish can get pretty pricey, especially. It seems like spot prawns are getting more expensive every year.
4: Yeah, they're so they're so tasty. Mm-hmm. I think is why.
5: Yeah,
0: and and it's, demand
4: <laughs> and people are people are excited to be able to buy something so delicious that they know is sustainably harvested too.
5: Yes, absolutely, and it's so strange to think that just uh, several years back there wasn't a nobody was eating spot prawns. It's like several, maybe about fifteen twenty years ago people, fishermen were actually throwing halibut cheeks away. People were eating it. And now we're learning about all these fantastic parts of the fish, almost like, you know, you've got the snout to tail thing going on with meat. Now it's almost like head to fin with fish. I was at the forage, and I tried salmon collars for the first
4: time. Mm-hmm.
5: And it was amazing. It was so tender. And the, the part, the head of the salmon was something I hadn't tried. I'll, I'll stop at eating the eyeball, but they do
4: yeah my dad's eaten fish salmon eyeballs before. He never convinced me to do it yeah. <laughs> um there's some uh how is the book organized like if if I were a reader what would i what would I find in this book
5: well there's, it's organized into different kinds of it's organized into species first of all, and mainly alphabetical and there's also organized each recipe has an um, ease of use. So there's this little, little icon, a little fish, and it could be completely red, which means it's, it's a bit difficult. And then there's easy. It doesn't have any red in it at all. So that's one way of looking. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's, uh, there's also sections on chowders. And, the, and the, the most of the big sections are divided. So there's one big section is big fish.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Then there's a section of little fish and, sh- and shellfish. And then all the others. There's the the others like um, cephalopods that don't fit into those categories, which is octopus, gooey duck, uh,
3: squid.
4: Yeah, strange. The the uh, the strange ones.
3: Have you ever cooked any of those, Jordy?
4: Me? Oh, yeah. um, I've cooked squid, uh-huh. but that's it.
3: Wow, squid is so underrated.
4: <laughs> it's good. It's um, it's intimidating to cook.
3: Yeah, I think the rest of us are all very afraid of. How to cut it up? <laughs>
5: well, there are some videos. Um, there's the the uh, links are in the book. Videos on how to clean and deal with things like squid and um, gooey duck. How to fillet a fish, etc. And there's lots of ways to. There's lots of videos online to look at that too. And you can ask your fishmonger to cut it for you. You don't have to do it yourself. They're mm-hmm. happy to. to I do, I
4: yeah. just got the tentacles. It was, it was much easier than. Mm-hmm. You just, yeah, thing. you
5: can just get the body, and they could even cut the body into rings if you don't even want to do that. Mm-hmm. Nice. They suck oysters for you, too.
3: So, this cookbook has a variety of, in terms of how much cooking experience you need, pretty accessible. And I, I love the ideas of videos for people somewhat unfamiliar.
5: Absolutely. And um, even, the, even the, the ones that are a bit more difficult, if you take the time to read the recipe a couple of times, most of them are in stages, so nothing has to be. There's not more than a couple of, say, steps that you have to do last minute, which is usually the most difficult part for the home cook to put together.
4: Yeah, time, at once, at once. timing three dishes at once is <laughs> yeah, something yeah. beyond most people.
5: So the reason that it's, it's easily these are recipes are in stages is because that's how chefs cook. They can't start something from scratch. For example, uh, risotto. Chef, there's a recipe here that the risotto is made a couple of days beforehand that 19, 90% cooked, and then they just finish it off at the end
4: a smart it's a smart trick yeah, except smart i can't tricks like that i can't resist me ma- I, I, go, I go through all the work i usually want to eat it right away
3: <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> yeah that's how you have people who have dinner parties and you go over and they're all relaxed and lounging on the couch
4: they're just look, like, oh welcome yeah uh, because drink been some sweating wine bullets
3: with
5: the, me yeah they've been sweating bullets <laughs> the day before
3: <laughs> yeah see that's not me that's my problem Mm-hmm. And were there, are there any recipes that you'd like to highlight for us of things that were surprising or unusual Mm. or just really, really tasty?
5: Well, oh, there's so many. Um, I guess some of the salmon, getting back to salmon again, there's the salmon tataki. It's so easy to make. It's just gorgeous. And uh, I, I urge people to try poaching in olive oil. You can use the olive oil over and over again. So it's, and it's not greasy at all. That's a really lovely way to cook. It's like a soft poach. And the. Fish comes out velvety smooth. It's quite lovely.
4: Um,
5: there's some surprises in here too. For example, did you know that uh, if you throw corks into the water when you're boiling octopus, it will make it tender?
4: I I, I did, but only because I worked on the book.
5: Yeah. <laughs> well, here's another one. What about the uh, there's the trick with the uh, taco shells? I love that one. I think Chris Mills at Joey said, "I keep your wooden clothes pegs, and just uh, you, once you fill the taco shell, and you want to." or the tortilla shell, and you want to keep that shape, just pin them together with a clothes peg.
4: <laughs> it's a good trick.
5: Yeah. so are lots of helpful hints. Well, the book is peppered with tricks like that. I especially like the seaweed section, because mm-hmm. I really believe that kelp is the next. No, it's the other way around. Kale. <laughs> kelp is the next kale. That's it.
4: Yeah, it's, it's uh, very nutritious and um, quite plentiful.
5: Yeah, and there's places in town that you can actually buy it fresh.
4: What are they? TNT. TNT?
5: And a couple of fishmongers, yeah.
4: Is Fish Counter one of them?
5: I'm not sure if they stock seaweed. They might make a seaweed salad. Some of the fishmongers make their own salad and serve it that that way.
4: Well, that's neat. Um, If people wanted to find this book, where would they go find it?
5: Uh, You can get it online at Amazon. Uh, Most... uh, Online. most bookstores in town have it. Chapters, although don't go to Robson Street. <laughs> I still don't know if it's still there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, any independent bookstores will have it. I think that Costco will soon, and some of the fishmongers are selling it too. I think.
4: So you can. Anyway, cre- it's you, everywhere. You can go down to your local fishmonger and just get it with the with the salmon you buy.
5: That's right.
3: One stop shopping.
4: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for uh, calling in, Jane. Did you have any more questions? No, Brenda? I'm
3: good. Thank you. That well, was thanks really for much interesting. For having me.
4: Oh no problem. It's always good to talk to you.
3: Great, thanks. Night.
4: Yeah, you have a good night.
5: Thank you. Bye.
4: Well, that was Jane Mundy, uh, author or slash editor of the Oceanwise Cookbook Two, talking about her new book. Um, Brenda, have we worked out what that song was that at the start of the segment that we didn't know the name of?
3: Yeah, it was called "Drink Pee." <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, that was really interesting. All the helpful, strange tips.
4: Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good book. If you want, uh, you can borrow my copy of it.
3: Nice. Have a fish off. Mm -hmm. Sounds great.
4: What do we got coming up, Brenda?
3: We're going to play a track by Tough Age, a local band that's half moved to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And they just put out a new album, I Get the Feeling Central. Mm -hmm. And this is a song called Guilt. Guilt.
2: Don't miss the All Nations Festival from July 23rd to 25th in Coquitlam. It's an annual festival of music, art, food, sports, and ideas celebrating Coast Salish territory. The three-day celebration includes two free live music stages featuring the Funk Hunters, DJ Headspin, os 12 and more. Dozens more events listed online at www.allnationsfest.com.
4: And we are back. That was Aura Kogan.
3: With uh From the Stars off the Crystallize EP.
4: Yeah, it's a nice uh nice album. I've always enjoyed Aura Kogan's stuff. Um but we are here sorry, but this is the worst segue ever, but we want to talk about patios.
3: We do. We do really want to talk about <laughs> patios. Uh Jordy just told me about this uh, exciting initiative from the city council.
4: Yes, patio day.
3: Patio Day. Did you know that there is a p- official Patio Day in Vancouver?
4: And it's uh, August third. It's a day that many businesses that would not normally have a patio um, will be putting stuff out and just having a patio. Uh, just use, letting them. The city wants them to use the sidewalk space to see what it would be like if they had if they had patios. It's kind of a pilot program. If it goes well, I think there might be more patios in vancouver in the future
3: maybe I'm it seems sure. like a trend yeah so gregor made a motion at city council for a one day patio day and you can apply for a permit to use yeah the sidewalk or a business parking stall yeah,
4: yeah something and uh, set up some tables and like so restaurants that wouldn't normally have patios will have patios all of a sudden and even I think it's open to other businesses, too. I'm not sure what other businesses would do with their patio space quite in the same way that a restaurant would. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it'll bring more people out onto the streets of Vancouver, which is cool.
3: And Patio Day is on BC Day, the first Monday of August. Oh, it's a holiday.
4: August 3rd, yeah. So you have the whole day off. You um, You get to check out. All these patios. Um, this is part of... A, this is kind of like a continuation of something that Vancouver City Council has been doing. I think we talked earlier. Um, no, we
3: didn't. We were going to. And, and, didn't and we hit. never
4: got around to it. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, so we were going a few shows back, we were going to talk about um, how Vancouver licensed about 75? Is that...
3: 72 patios.
4: 72 yeah, places to have super late night patios.
3: Up to 1 a.m., so previously, I think patios were allowed to go till ten or eleven, and that was extended already from the year before. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, now one a.m.
4: So yeah, they're letting them go later. Um, if you there's, there was a big list of them all that was posted in um, uh, on in an article that I read that I think was on Vancouver is awesome. Um, but might have been some, but might have been a, a cross post of like something that was around in the me- in the media. And it has, there's a list of all the ones that you can see, so you can check out. Brenda, you've, Brenda's brought it up. What? Tell us some of the ones that you, that are, are on that list.
3: Okay, so less than... F- just the good ones. Yeah, less than 50 were allowed last year up until midnight, and this year 72 uh, up to 1 a.m., but there's also uh, a lot more eligible for it. I think these are just the ones that have applied. So uh, let's find our neighborhood because our neighborhood is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, El Camino's. Is now open until one. NICU, Japanese Restaurant and Charlie's Little Italian.
4: Um, all places that uh, have pretty good patios. Uh, I like I like going to the patios on Main Street. I'm guessing. Um, like I'm looking at it, and it looks like Havana on Commercial also has one. Beer Craft,
3: Tangent, Saint Augustine, Saint Augustine.
4: So these are all um like kind of like good uh, pretty good establishments that a lot of people go to to have a beer. Anyways. yeah they can stay open later
3: if you're in kits the king's head copper tank displaced hashery
4: the union in chinatown which i didn't even know had a patio and the
3: Kiefer. the Kiefer has a patio
4: must be in back i don't know
3: anyways i will post this to our facebook because we need we need to go to patios
4: yeah we need more patios and um this is a great summer if not for forest fires or water supplies then it has been a great summer for drinking on patios.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: So, yeah, and I've been very excited about how patios have been changing. I like the the idea of putting more more emphasis on patios where it moves culture out of, like, closed-off building areas and kind of puts it into a more...
3: Of a public sphere. More
4: of a public sphere, so people... Um, if you see someone you know when you're walking down the street and they're sitting on a patio, you can talk, stop and talk to them. Whereas if you see someone sitting in a restaurant, well, first of all, you might not even see them because <laughs> they might be like it's there's windows uh, that you have to be glancing through and stuff like that at the right time. But if you have if you see a friend in a restaurant, you're not going to go inside usually unless you have something that's in specific that you want to talk to them about and chat with them but if you see a friend sitting on a patio while you're walking past you'll stop and talk to them i think it's a lot more social um to have that and i like that these sorts of changes are happening to make the city a more social place
3: mm mm-hmm. yeah and just to enjoy the summer weather while it's not raining there's a uh, everyone needs to get outside and stop being so pacey.
4: yeah i'm guessing these uh patios being open till 1 well may not happen quite so much once uh, november rolls around.
3: Mhm. Definitely. So, Patio Day, August 3rd. Uh we also have our weekly pairing.
4: Yes, what is our pairing?
3: So, our pairing is we're going to recommend that you go to a show.
4: Yes, it's a show at the Astoria next week. Um with Late Spring the Ace Martins. Um two other bands who i'm forgetting right now glad rags glad rags yes and and one other one
3: Uh uh-huh (laughs) yeah
4: it's at it's at the astoria it's gonna be a good show what day um thursday thursday night so next week today and where would you recommend people go for food around there
3: well uh have we talked yet about the little taco window at the astoria
4: um not recently Uh, I know that that window you're talking about the window in the back of the Astoria where Mm -hmm. there's been a number of different restaurants that have kind of rotated through there
3: and they all die eventually
4: I don't know why because they're often quite good Um, but possibly because the people who own them don't make enough money off of the clientele of the Astoria I'm not sure what the reason is
3: Mm -hmm.
4: but they're often quite good.
3: They are. And this is the first time I've been to a couple shows where people will come to the door and say, I'm not here to see the band. I'm just here for the tacos. Can I just come in for an hour and get my food? So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. People are just showing up for the food mm-hmm. instead of the show. And uh, I had, uh, what did I have last time? Some taco soup. That was good. And a pupusa and some tacos. I was really hungry, so I kept going back.
4: And what style would you say these tacos are? are these like... Uh Cheap, plentiful tacos, or are they like high quality small La taqueria tacos, or are they like gourmet fusion tacofino tacos?
3: Um they're definitely not as foodie and fancy as La taqueria or mm-hmm. um Tacofino. But they're they've they've got good flavor and there's a whole bunch of different types and mm-hmm. they're they're sort of a medium size, soft taco.
4: So you say but like It's not Tex Max. Yeah. It's not it's not Tex Max tacos. no okay. So it's somewhere in between. It's like, a mm-hmm.
3: yeah, they have some good options. And pupusas aren't usually on your, on your regular, uh, taco menu. So those no. are those are really tasty.
4: Did you tell um, Peanut Butter and Jam's correspondent Seth <laughs> that he could get a pupusa at the Astoria?
3: I did not, but yes, he did a, a segment many shows ago. And Check out
4: the podcast. To learn about <laughs> <pupusas>. <laughs> To Talk
3: about how to make pupusas.
4: And how to buy p- pupusas.
3: And how they get pupusa ingredients. Mm-hmm. I had no idea there were pupusas before that show. This show is a lifelong learning experience.
4: <laughs> uh, that's great. Do we have any more? Do we have any of the bands that we just discussed to play?
3: Um, I think or we
4: already played Late Spring.
3: We did play Late Spring, so they're on the spell. Ace Martins is on there, and we've played them before. Um, I could dish up something really quickly.
4: Yeah, let's play a...
3: But first, let's play some Isaac Solomon.
4: Oh, who's also playing a show uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. At uh, Cafe Crema, if you are interested. Where in is that? Um, I'm not sure.
3: Okay. Well, you can go find Alex at Cafe Crema. Cafe Isaac. Crema. His name is Isaac. All oh, my vowels getting mixed up. And this is Weekend in the World from the evening EP. <laughs>
1: in the world Not cause anybody said But cause everybody knows From San Francisco to Tokyo The shades are drawn down and the blinds closed up And the warmth of your skin Wraps me up and loads me down can stay, and lay right here for the next two days.
2: Timber Concerts is proud to present Built to Spill to support their latest release, Untethered Moon, Built to Spill, will be playing the Commodore Ballroom on July 25th with special guest Slam Dunk. Tickets are available at TimberConcerts.com, Red Cat, and Zulu Records. Doors open at 8 p.m., show starts at 9.30. Radio show.
5: Is proved fresh and served fresh in the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this...
2: Radio show.
1: ...will do, so go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make
2: your... Radio experience.
1: Exquisite. Indeed.
2: <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one.
3: So that was a show promo for Duncan's show. And before that, we played a track by Isaac Solomon, Weekend in the World.
4: Yeah. That's what you will hear if you go to Cafe Crema tomorrow.
3: Yep. And so our next show is not in live in the studio. So don't call in to their call-in comedy show. Uh, where they have a ton of fake amusing callers. Yes, call they in. have
4: uh, pre-recorded uh, a podcast from a previous episode, I believe. Or is this a new show? I'm not sure.
3: Uh, this is a, a podcast. We're going to play Last Day of Sub-School speci- Special Jiffy Marker Edition uh, from June 11th. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks for listening to our show.
4: Yeah, and uh, stay tuned afterwards for Thunderbird Radio Hell with Ben Lai.
3: Great.
0: Crimes and Treasons Radio, this is Riff Every Tuesday from 9 to 11 p.m. on 101.9 FM with Rilly Rails and Jules Andre Brown.